Well, I got to congratulate you, not just for putting up with Grant for 10 years, but uh, surprising him. That's hard to do. I mean, I was ducking and weaving back there because he's always looking around to see what's happening, you know. But uh, welcome back. And uh, it is great to be with you. I uh, I'll tell you, it's a thrill for me to get here. I've wanted to. And... Uh, to be here in Waco, and, and I got in last night, and I've been doing nothing but eat ever since. Uh, Matt took me out last night, and we ate, and then they had a... Thanks for that basket of stuff in the room, too, man. There was food in the room, and then Steve took me out to breakfast, went down to the coffee shop, and there's quite a bit more than coffee down there. So anyway, uh, it's it's really fun to... i gotta, I got to tell you... Uh, I was a little scared because I'm serious, and if you know Grant, you know it's hard to keep something from him. So I thought I'd love to see the building, but I waited till dark. And then I got in my car and drove down here last night just to, and it was a thrill just to see this place and to be with you all and to see the obvious way God has blessed the ministry here and uh, used Grant and Karina and, and in your lives why it's a thrill for me, because we miss Grant and Karina and their family uh, up at Southwest in, in Portland, but uh, we're happy to know that God is using them here in Waco and uh, the life change that is symbolized uh, by just seeing the building and uh, to be in here in this great worship center and what a beautiful place. And uh, so I'm thrilled to be here. And you know, 10 years ago, when we, uh, it was bittersweet for me when Grant told me what I assumed I'd hear sooner or later, that God was calling him to uh, look to a shepherd on his own. Why? Uh, I remember preaching, and in fact, he was sitting about right there, and uh, preaching a sermon of commissioning. And we laid hands on Grant, and I remember preaching from Second Timothy four to preach the word, and. Uh, I'm thrilled that you have and that you've honored Christ and exalted and proclaimed Christ. And it's just, it was fun. It's been great to, to get to know Matt and uh, just hear the heart resonating in the same, same, on the same page. And Steve, and your chairman of the elders. And uh, so it, it's a joy for me to be here. And I, I thought, what should I speak on uh, 10 years later? And I, I want to talk today about the joy, the joy and glory of ministry. And so I'm going to be talking to you, you know, but I'm not merely talking. And one of the first things we need to see is that ministry is service, serving. And every Christian is called to serve. And so I'm talking to all of us when I talk about the joy and glory of ministry. And uh, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I was thinking, who am I to speak on an occasion like this? Well, I've been at it for a while, but I was speaking, uh, you know, sometimes longevity just means you've been hanging around a long time. And... Uh, I actually, we have a, we started a, a group up in Portland called Spurgeon's Fellowship of, of Pastors. About four times a year we get together from all over the Northwest, and it's been a, a neat time. But they have a little journal, and they were interviewing myself and, and uh, another guy that's been 35 years in the ministry up in uh, Port Angeles area, a dear friend of mine. And anyway, we were being interviewed on this subject of longevity in the ministry. And uh, right, it was, it was about a year ago, and we'd been there uh, 30 years at that time at Southwest, and they had just kind of thrown a thing like this and, and given us a, uh, a 30-day trip anywhere. And so Chris and I, we didn't know what to do with that, really. I mean, we'd never been away 30 days. And, and so I told Mike and the guy interviewing us, I said, yeah, we've been there 30 years, and they gave us this 30-day trip. And Mike, a little wiser and older than me, you know, he said, did they give you a return ticket? <laughs> and uh, I heard him. 
but uh, we had a great time. We just did it, actually, in August and September. But I want us to think about the joy of ministry, the glory of ministry. And really, you could just put it this way, the joy of life. Because life and ministry should go like this. They should, ideally, they should overlap completely. Our life is to be a life of service. We follow one who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So, no matter who you are, where you are at, if, you've known, if you know Jesus Christ, your life is to be a life of ministry, of service. And so, what we're going to see is very applicable. And I'd like us to just stand, if we would, uh, for the hearing of God's Word. Just stand in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to read from verse 3 to uh, verse 9, which is uh, just a burst of praise. Lord, uh, right now I ask that You would speak to our hearts through Your Word. Thank You that You're a God. You not only spoke the world into existence, but You're a God... uh, who speaks directly to us through Your Holy Spirit. You have written down this book, every page of which is Your Word. Your words are spirit and are life. And we invite You now to prepare our hearts and help us have ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, You love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you. You can be seated. Though you have not seen Him, You love Him. Nobody in this room has seen Jesus Christ. Peter had, but he's writing to people like you and me. He said, though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy is to be the earmark of the Christian life. I mean, by this, they'll know that you're my followers if you love one another. I don't mean to minimize that. But joy should characterize every Christian. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might be in you. And your joy made full. The man of sorrows, he's called. And acquainted with grief. I don't want to be misunderstood when I say joy should characterize us. We follow the man of sorrows. His nickname wasn't Joy Boy. huh? The man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And yet, when we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. I'm not talking about mere happiness or putting the best face on things. 
I'm talking about a deep-seated joy. He said, these things I've spoken to you. Every page of the Bible is designed to produce joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of Christ, is joy. He prayed in John 17. I was quoting John 15 a minute ago. But in John 17, he said, these things I've spoken in the world that my joy might be in them and their joy made full. That's his desire for us. Indeed, he commanded us, didn't he? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Thanksgiving coming up, I mean, it's very appropriate that we think about these things because you can really not separate, can you? Thanksgiving and joy. Praise, thanksgiving. I mean, we praise God for who He is. We give thanks to God for what He's done. But they just overlap and intermingle. And a, a healthy Christian and a healthy Christian life is characterized by joy. And I love verse 8 here. Uh, this joy inexpressible and full of doxa, glory. We get our word doxology, you know. There's a joy and a glory to serving the Lord and to living for Him. And Peter expresses it in a way that I think we can all get hold of. Now, Peter, he uh, his joy was not based, and it's helpful to think about what it was based on, what it wasn't based on. His joy was not based on his own performance. One of the traps I fall into, and I'm sure you're tempted to, is to start to think in terms of how we're doing, our circumstances, and base our joy on those kinds of things. But Peter's joy was not based on uh, his own performance. Lord, I would die for you. Peter, you can't come with me now. You guys can't go where I'm going. Well, I don't know about these guys. No, in fact, you're going to deny me. Well, they might, but I won't. I'll die for you, Lord. Now, Peter was a little confused, wasn't he? About who's going to die for who. No, Peter, in fact, before the alarm clock rings tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's joy couldn't be based on his performance. And it wasn't even based on his performance when he, on the good days... Man, he preached and 3,000 believed on Pentecost. But that wasn't always the case. Now, his, his joy, look at it, verse 3. He burst into praise here uh, because his joy was based on unshakable things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His joy is based on unshakable truth. And look at it, verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. You know Christ? Nobody can separate you from His love. And your inheritance is imperishable and undefilable. Nobody can get in and mess it up. And it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Why wouldn't we be joyous? Why wouldn't we be daily, moment by moment, experiencing joy? We're protected, verse 5, by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed. I mean, this is... uh, Rock-solid basis for our joy. Hence, our joy is unshakable. Real Christian joy. It doesn't come and go with circumstances. If your joy comes and goes with how things are gone, then it's not really Christian joy. Uh, But that doesn't mean... Man, we just scoot through life. Some of you, I'm sure, are facing real issues right now. And I know that's the case in my life, and that's the case in my congregation's life. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice in this unshakable salvation, even though now for a little while, if necessary, and it is, we're distressed by various trials. I don't know what you're facing. I was uh, driving over 
just, it was in June, I was driving over to a friend's house for dinner. My wife was already there and there was three, four couples getting together. And uh, the gal putting on the dinner has come through breast cancer, or is coming through, I should say, breast cancer. And I've seen a new joy in her life as she is ministering to those who hurt. But we were gathering together to pray for one of our deacons who uh, 50 years old and uh, diagnosed with melanoma and it had spread and he was going through the rigors, the rigors of the treatment, the experimental treatment that had very little chance of helping. And uh, we were going to have a dinner and just a prayer time because a bunch of us had gathered earlier. And so I was on my way and the cell phone rang and it wasn't Texas. In Oregon, they got laws against the phone on the, in the car. Now, I don't know if you do or not. but, but uh, So uh, I, I picked it up, broke the law, you know, and uh, started talking. Then I said, i got to pull over. And one of our elders, uh, in fact, the guy that mentored Grant in youth ministry, uh, was on the line and he said, you know, I've been to the doctor. And he told me of his diagnosis that was just like, whoa. He's got this massive cancer in it right here, right underneath his heart, entwined in stuff, and it didn't look good at all. And I'm just hit like this. And I said, well, I'm, I want to talk to you. Let's get together. Uh, and he told me, you know, that he, they were telling him that he may not even survive the surgery that they've already scheduled. They've got to get right after it. It was right there tied to his heart. And I said, uh, I want to come over. But I said, I'm on my way over to have dinner with Peter. And he said, oh, go. He said, go. So anyway, I go over to there to the dinner. And I don't tell anybody because I'm still kind of reeling with this news. And, and I'm sitting at the dinner and we have a wonderful time of fellowship. And our deacon said, as we kind of closed off the dinner, he said, you know, this past year, and this is the year that he's been through this rugged trial. He said this past year, and he paused, and his wife, like wives are prone to do, finished the sentence for him. She said, it's been a good year. And I thought, wow. But he, he let her say that, and I so appreciated she did, because they've gone through this together. It's been a good year, but then he paused and he said, I wouldn't trade anything in this year. And I said, wow, I'm in the presence of a deeper joy than mere circumstantial joy. Because I was up there in the critical care unit with him when he was going through the stuff. And uh, it wasn't easy at all. Well, that night after the dinner, I go over to my elder's house and uh, I tell him the story as he tells me his situation. And I just... uh, I told him what Peter said, and he said, wow, he said, you know, that is so powerful. And he told me, Scott, you know, and he's just processing this news. He just got the diagnosis. He said, you know, it's sort of a win-win situation for me. And I thought, wow. He said, but I'm not in it like Peter is. And we had a wonderful time of prayer. But I'm not telling you that joy means everything is going to go your way or that circumstances will always be happy for you. I'm talking about a much deeper joy than that. Though you have not seen Him, the One who rose from the dead, you love Him. And though you don't see Him now, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now that's Peter writing to a bunch of people who are suffering. Now, three times I read in my Bible that the man of sorrows wept. Only once do I read that the Lord Jesus rejoiced. It's in Luke 10. I want you to turn there. He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Luke, Luke 10, Peter was here on this occasion. He, he heard this. But let me just catch up with Luke just for a second. Luke begins with joy. 
The angel Gabriel, you remember? In fact, you'll probably be looking at it in a month, you know, in this time when we celebrate the birth of the Lord. The angel Gabriel came to and spoke, remember, to Zacharias when he was in the service of the Lord. And he said, you will have joy and gladness. He announced the birth of John the Baptist. He said, you're going to have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, the birth of the forerunner. And then, of course, you remember, that's in chapter 1. Later in chapter 1, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, remember what happened? I mean, I don't understand it. But when the baby in the womb heard the voice of Mary, he leapt for joy. I mean, joy characterizes Luke's account. And then, of course, probably the essence of joy. Don't be afraid, the angel told the shepherds in chapter 2. For I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior. That is, by the way, the essence of why we get together and rejoice. That's the gospel, the good news. It's of great joy. You don't have to fear. By the way, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect joy casts out fear. Don't be afraid, the angel said, as the heavenly chorus sang, you know, today a Savior has been born. By the way, if you're here and you just stumbled in or you've been coming, you're looking into Christianity, let me tell you, that's why we're joyous. God sent His Son to this world. I've got good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior. And if you haven't come to know Christ, I hope you will today because there's no joy like knowing Christ. Well, anyway, that's, that's Luke and that's a, that's a tone of Luke. But Luke 10, let's look at it together because I want to talk about the joy. That was just introduction, so we're in trouble. But uh, I'll, I'll be fast. Luke 10, now after this. The Lord appointed 70 others. Now, right away, we're jumping into the middle of Jesus' ministry. And He's appointing 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going to come. And He was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He's sending out men into ministry. And it's a specific ministry. I'm aware of that. But there's a lot of principle here for us to learn from because we've been sent out. And notice it says, after this, after what? Well, just in case you're reading Luke, in fact, we always should do this, where we add in Luke, we'll look at chapter 9, verse 51. It came about when the days were approaching for His ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. I think the old King James says he set his face like flint. From 951 all the way over to chapter 19, Bible teachers sometimes call it the travel log. It's the account of Jesus' trip to Jerusalem. And He has set His face like flint. He knows where He's going. He's going to the cross. It's not fitting that a prophet die outside of Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. That's the context. And by the way, that's the context He called me and you into, isn't it? He didn't say, hey, take up your feather bed and follow me. He said, take up your cross. This isn't our home. We're not here just to carve out a comfortable little Christian life. Now, well, He sends these guys out and verse 1, He appointed them and He sent them. That's... Uh, that, let me just underline that because every one of us has been appointed and sent. Not all of us to this particular ministry. I'm not going through the villages of, of Judea before, you know, leading Jesus' way. But every one of us have been called and sent. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, Jesus said, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So we've been sent, and uh, we've been sent just like these guys. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Does that ring a bell? Jesus said that on more than one occasion, didn't he? It's still true. And there's all kinds of harvest out there. The laborers are few. Pray that God would raise up more harvesters. And when Jesus shared this over in Matthew 9, it's specifically when He looked on all the people. And it says He felt compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Praise God, our Lord is a shepherd. And He raises up shepherds. And I'm so thankful for you guys celebrating your shepherds, your under-shepherds tenure here. And uh, Jesus felt compassion when He said pray. Well, I'll skip down to verse 16 because He gives them specific instructions that I won't go into. But verse 16, He says to them, as He commissions them, the one who listens to you listens to Me. Wow. And the one who rejects you rejects Me. And he who rejects Me rejects the one who sent Me. Let that sink in. Our commission. You say, well, Scott, that's not ours. That's these guys. He's 70. Remember when the risen Lord met with the guys? And He said, as the Father has sent Me, so I send you. John 20, verse 21. I'm blown away by that. I hope I never get to where I'm not. The one who listens to you listens to Me. Yeah, we speak for Christ. And then He raises the ante. Verse 16 is amazing to me. And He who rejects you rejects Me. And He who rejects Me rejects the One who sent Me. By the way, we need to hang on to that truth like never before. I believe the evangelical church in America is caving in on that and tempted to, uh, well, you know, and we're all excited because people are spiritual. Or, and it is so un-PC, you know, to say, verse 16, if you reject Jesus Christ, you reject the One who sent Me. John 5.23 He who does not honor Me does not honor the Father who sent Me. And I know people say, well, there's different words for God in different languages. Listen, when people start telling Me that this God is that God, all I have one question. Is the God you're talking about, you call Him Allah, okay? Is the God that you're speaking of, is He the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the one Peter burst into praise for, isn't it? That's the one and only God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, we need to proclaim the truth. And Jesus said, the one who rejects Me rejects the one who sent Me. They can say nice things about Jesus, but if they reject Him, they're rejecting the Father. Now, that's our commission. And He said, if you remember in John 20, He said, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, their sins are retained. Wow. That sobers me. I don't know about you, but I stand up here and can say that? What is he setting up some some little pope? I can forgive you, retain you? No, no. No, he's saying that the gospel is true. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And if you say, well, I'm not sure about that. It seems like there's many paths to the top of the mountain. And after all, a lot of people are saying that there's certain other ways to be spiritual and blah, 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 blah. You know what they say. You know, Maybe you say it. I can tell you that if you spurn Jesus Christ, you are still in your sins. You retain your sins. That's the authority of the good news, the great joy, the Gospel. So He commissioned them, okay? Well, now watch what happened. Verse 17. The 70 returned. He just skips over their ministry. And they get back to report to the Lord. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. They come back with joy in ministry. 
happy, joyous, that the power that God has unleashed. And notice, I would, I would compliment it. In your name. I mean, they're giving God the glory. But Jesus, watch this. Jesus corrects them. Lord, they came back with joy. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus Christ says, don't rejoice in something and then do rejoice in something. Boy, we better listen up. I want to hear what he has to say. And then, watch this. At that very time, verse 21, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got right here them coming with joy, Him actually rebuking their joy, telling them, don't rejoice in that, rejoice in this, and then Him illustrating, greatly rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Wow. There's lessons here for us. Look at verse 21. At that very time, Luke says, it wasn't on another occasion. Right then, at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in Thy sight. All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. What you have there in verse 21 is the triune God. God the Son rejoicing greatly in God the Spirit and praising God the Father. In other words, Jesus Christ said, don't rejoice in your ministry. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. And then He burst into praise that His Father is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Sovereign of the universe. That's who His Father is. And that's who your Father is. If your name is written in heaven, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, He modeled what He said. Rejoice, not in your circumstances, not in your ministry, not in people. Rejoice in the unshakable One. Rejoice in God Himself. The joy and glory of life. Now, I think it's, we've already said it really, but I want to just kind of stop and apply this. Don't rejoice, Jesus said, and do rejoice. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Don't rejoice... Don't find your ultimate joy in your ministry. Or you'll be disappointed. Rejoice in the Lord of your ministry. Don't rejoice in your service. Rejoice in the one you serve. Find your ultimate joy not in your ability to proclaim the Gospel, Oh, there's, don't misunderstand me. When I say these things, there's secondary joy in all these things. Matt and I were talking last night over dinner about the joy of seeing people catch the picture and men start to really live for Christ. There's joy in that. But don't make that your ultimate joy in your ability to share the Gospel. Make your ultimate joy the Gospel you share. The good news of the great joy. Don't rejoice in your freedom to share the Gospel. I mean, I'm... I love America, and I am so thankful for our freedoms, and I cringe when I see us losing our freedoms. But ultimately, I know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation 
in oppressed places and free places. And I don't take lightly what's happening in our country and the loss of the freedom, but, but I'm not going to put my joy in preserving that freedom or I'll be disappointed. That's not My home isn't here. And neither's yours. Our citizenship is in heaven. So, don't take joy, listen to me carefully, in people. Ultimate joy. Again, don't misunderstand me. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. He said, who is our joy? You are our joy, you Thessalonians, and our glory. But if your joy, your ultimate joy is in people, that is a formula for depression. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Pastors know. And any of you laboring, don't put your joy in your kids. Oh, she just lives for her kids. Stop it! Really? You're to live for the one who died and rose again on your behalf. If you put your joy in your family, now again, don't misunderstand me. What did John write? The one who loved Jesus. He said, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Your spiritual children or your physical children. But i got to think he was speaking in hyperbole there. No greater joy. I don't think he was talking about ultimate joy because we just know better as we read the Bible. And Jesus said, don't. Don't rejoice in what God's doing at Fellowship Bible. Oh, do. Don't misunderstand me. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your Father is the Sovereign of the universe who reveals Himself to those whom He pleases, for thus it was well-pleasing in His sight. Rejoice in the God of salvation. Don't rejoice in results. Boy, pastors need to hear this. I need to hear this. Don't rejoice in results. I, uh, I, I'm, right now I'm taking too much time, but <laughs> I'm taking a group of guys. Uh, I handpicked 12 young guys in their 20s. And I'm calling it my Second Timothy group, and I'm taking them through Second Timothy, and I'm giving them, you know, equipping them, and, and it is fun. I got to say, it's joyous, you know, but it's secondary joy. Uh, but you know, we're looking at Second Timothy, and Paul, the mighty apostle, when he gets to the end of the line, he writes to Timothy, "All who are in Asia have deserted me." He's not talking about China. <laughs> All who are in Asia, the Asia Minor. Think about that. He saw people let him down. Only Luke is with me. At my first defense, no one stood with me. But the Lord stood with me. That's what he's writing on death row. That's how the Lord let his apostle close it out. Don't put your joy in results. Don't put your joy in conversions. Oh, don't misunderstand me. Jesus said in Luke 15 that when people come to Christ, when people repent, the angels rejoice. And we surely should rejoice. I was talking to the hotel clerk. She said, are you here for a conference? And I said, no, I'm actually here to speak in a church. She said, really? And I said, yeah, I'm going to speak in a church where the pastor's been there for 10 years. And I told her this story. I said, he's over in India right now. I just got back and she perked right up and she said her pastor had been over in India and that they'd seen conversions. And I rejoiced with what Grant shared this morning. We rejoice in conversions. We should. But uh, there'll come a time when you share the Gospel and they won't want to hear it. And if your joy is in results or conversions, you'll lose your joy. Ezekiel, I'm going to send you to a people that ought to hear you, but they're not going to. I can tell you right now, Jesus, or the Lord said, when He commissioned Ezekiel. And there are times, in fact, when I commissioned uh, Grant ten years ago, you know, Paul told Timothy, you preach the Word, the time will come when they won't want to hear it. So you give them what they want to hear. No. You preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. They might want to have their ears tickled, but you, they don't want to hear what they need to hear. They want to hear what they want to hear. But you give them what they need to hear. And it, because our joy is not in pleasing people. It's in pleasing the One who enlisted us into the great army. I mean, you think about it, and this will be 
maybe, my last illustration, John the Baptist. I mean, he was leaping for joy in the womb. (laughs) And he had a lot of success. I mean, the people were coming out and they thought, this must be the Christ. Are you the Christ? He said, no. No. Are you the prophet? No. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. Or I should say untie his shoes and wash his feet, you know, to think about it really. But uh, And inevitably, his ministry dwindled, didn't it? And they came to him and said, hey, everybody's going to the other guy now. And what did he say? Remember in John 3? He said, I'm just the best man here at the wedding. I'm not the bridegroom. The best man rejoices to hear his voice. And when he does, he rejoices greatly. John 3.29 And therefore, this joy of mine has been made full to see people leaving his ministry and following Jesus. And then he said that great statement, He must increase, I must decrease. And we think of that as glorious, but it's not always so glorious when it's happening. John ended up where? In a dungeon. At the whim of some politician who found that it was not really expedient to kill him because some of the people thought he was a pretty good guy. But on the other hand, he hated him because he told him about his immorality. So he just kind of kept him there. And then in a drunken orgy, you remember what happened? And Paul, John, I mean, he was there. Are you the Christ or not? Should we wait for somebody else? What's going on in his ministry? And Jesus didn't run to prison. Remember that? He didn't go, oh, John, let me explain. He just said, you go tell John what's happening. And they served John's head up on a platter. You see, we're not promised success here on earth. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Yeah, yeah. He'd given them power in a local situation. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, He greatly rejoiced. Our Lord is the example of this, is He not? Because He knew where He was going. He was to be forsaken of men and, can I say it? Dare I say it? Forsaken of God. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? But I read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. The guy that uh, mentored me, he was uh, 60 years my senior. And I took a night class from him in the Bible and when I was going to Portland State where you wouldn't get any Bible classes there, but I took one across town under this guy. And it was for mainly lay people, you know, but every Thursday night, and man, that he'd open that Bible and it just came alive for me. I'd never been under teaching like that. And I just thirsted for it. And I remember him saying, God is not looking for greatness. He's looking for faithfulness. And my 19-year-old heart resonated with that. I didn't know if I could be great. In fact, I'm pretty sure I couldn't. But I could aspire to faithfulness. And I didn't realize at the time, he said that many times to me over the next 20 years. God is not looking for greatness. He's looking for faithfulness. Do you know Jesus Christ? God is looking for faithfulness. And twice Jesus repeated it. When you get to the end of the line, is this what you're looking for? When he says, well done, great servant. Uh -uh. Well done, you built a great church. Well done, your business thrived. Well done, I couldn't believe the grades you got. Don't put your joy in your grades. Don't put your joy in your business. Don't put your joy in this church. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into 
the joy of your Master. Wow. Eternal joy. I believe every Christian should keep that at the forefront of our minds. And now, and, and I will stop because we've got stuff here and there needs to be more things said. About, I mean, I'm excited about this whole morning, but let me share this one very important thing with you along this matter of joy. Jude bursts into joy at the end of his little letter. And here's what he says, because I, in a group this size, you're here and you don't know for sure if Jesus Christ is your Lord. You've been dabbling around. You've been exploring. Maybe you've been seriously looking. But you know you haven't really stepped over the line and said, I'm yours and confessed your sin to Him and come to know Jesus Christ. Jude said this, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in His presence blameless with great joy to Him our only God and Savior, be glory, honor, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know the One who is able to save you? Who is able to make you with all your sin, all your guilt, He's able to take you and make you stand in the presence of the Holy One, blameless, with great joy? That's joy. Is your name written in heaven? Today would be a great day for you to come to know Jesus Christ and join the rest of the throng of people who know what real joy is all about. Oh, Father, I pray right now, I thank You for the certainty of what Your Son accomplished. I praise You that He rose from the dead. We say with Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy, oh Father, You've been so merciful. You've caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh Father, thank You. And may our joy be found, our ultimate joy, in You and You alone. And then Lord, I thank You for all the secondary joys. And it is joyous occasion today. And we celebrate with godly joy what you've done here at Fellowship Bible and what you're going to do. And we thank you for Grant and Karina and their family. And we pray your blessing on them. And I thank you for the joy that I have just being here and seeing this. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness. But we remember that our ultimate joy is founded in much greater and deeper things than what you're doing right now and what you might be doing tomorrow. We're to find our ultimate joy in what you did when you raised your Son from the dead and you wrote our names in heaven. Oh, Lord, you are Lord of heaven and earth. And we rejoice that nothing can thwart your purposes. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. This time, we're going to ask the elders to come forward. We'd like to make a special presentation to Grant so Grant and Karina could make their way and just actually just bring the whole family up. Uh, if you guys could make your way. And uh, as they're doing that, let me just make a few just brief announcements uh, for sake of time. First of all is that there will be no women's Bible studies, uh, no Bible studies at all this, this coming week on Wednesday. Uh, there will be, I think, believe one of the women's studies is continuing on Tuesdays. Uh, also, we have a couple uh, new arrivals. And uh, first of all, the Finleys have Faith Finley, who is, I believe she might even be around here somewhere. But they're in the back. So just give a hand for the Finleys. And also, uh, Brad and Jessica Cook went a long way to bring back Eli. And uh, there he is up there. So give them a hand, Brad. Also want to let you know that the Angel Tree Project starts and there's information for that out there in the foyer. 
And uh, also we have some things for Men of Fellowship that are coming up just starting on December 10th. And we're going to be sending those things out to you by email and uh, let you know that information. But at this time, we'd like to give Stephen, you were there, and we don't have a mic, do you? Let me grab you a mic real quick. Always helping out. <laughs> uh, I wasn't quite sure what to say, so I'm going to read what the congregation will say. But this is a check for y'all to go East Coast, or I guess wherever else, on a family trip from the congregation, the generosity of the congregation. But let me read uh, this card. Thank you, Pastor, for being true to the Word, for reflecting Jesus, for being a blessing. Grant and Karina, thank you for following God's call to shepherd the people of Fellowship Bible. Your faithful and loving leadership and loving and has and continues to touch many lives for the glory of God. This gift for a family trip to the East Coast is just a very small token of appreciation for serving Christ and His church at Fellowship Bible. You're appreciated so much with deep gratitude, the Fellowship Bible Church family. All right, we're going to be dismissed in just a moment. We're going to close in one more, one more prayer of thankfulness and joy. Lord, we just uh, thank you again for blessing us with uh, Grant and his family and their faithfulness. And we, we, we thank you for your faithfulness uh, through him, through Scott, uh, before him, uh, through others, uh, and uh, that, that you have continued to be faithful to this church. Lord, we just ask that we might be willing to return uh, the uh, the praise, uh, the worship, uh, the honor uh, to you in all that we do. And we ask that you give us many more years with Grant and his family and, and uh, his uh, preaching and teaching the word. And we pray your blessing upon Scott as he returns uh, uh, back to Oregon and pray for this time when he and Grant can be together and rejoice in what they've been able to do uh, through through your working in their lives and uh, through your word and and through your spirit that indwells them. We just ask that you might bless us as we fellowship together, and uh, we praise you for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.